Father in heaven, thank you again for Jesus, who makes all of this possible. Lord, thank you so much for the church, for Sabbath. Thank you, God, for your second coming and the hope we can have as believers. Lord, thank you so much for the souls that are being saved. We pray and ask that you would bring conviction upon our hearts today. We pray and ask that the Spirit of God would enlighten us. Send out your light and your truth. Lead me to your holy hill, said David. That is our prayer, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's message is entitled, what? Freedom. That's exactly right. Freedom. And uh, right now, this last week, there has been a lot of... I wonder if we can get these actually monitors on over here as well. There's been a lot of question and debate and discussion regarding over the, the things that have taken place over the course of the last week. And in fact, the last few years, sort of a direction that our society is heading into. Last week, um, I was going to talk about it, but I didn't think it was the right time because we were talking about VBS and ministry to children. But I do want to be able to talk about it today. I really believe that we as Christians are called not to be silent, to be able to have frank discussions about these things, to talk about these things, and to be able to say exactly what the Bible is teaching on these things. Can you say amen to that? As many of you know that the uh, Supreme Court decided recently that uh, gay marriage is to be legalized in all 50 states. Prior to this time, there was a lot of confusion regarding whether or not gay marriage should be legalized. Now, what happens in the court system is very interesting. It goes something like this. When you actually have, you have the lower courts, then you have the federal courts, then you have the Supreme Court. And Supreme Courts will oftentimes take a case when federal courts actually have different kinds of rulings. So you had some federal judges that were saying gay marriage should be legalized in this state. Then you had some federal judges that were saying it shouldn't be legalized in this state. And so the Supreme Court recognizes in order to preserve unity and solidarity, they need to take on the case. And so they decide to take on the case in June, and uh, just last week they decided, five to four vote, that gay marriage should be legalized. Now we as Christians need to understand something, and that is this, the world is going to be the world, amen? The world is going to keep being the world. This shouldn't surprise us when the world does things like this, because the world is going to be the what? The The world. But the church needs to be the church. Amen? Amen. And this is what we need to talk about. We're going to be able to just address this just for a little bit, but then we're going to jump off into a different topic that I really believe is also connected to this. So make sure you have your Bibles. You know, Ravi Zacharias, great Christian apologist, he said something very interesting. He said these words, Before you move a fence, ask why it was put there to begin with. Before you remove, remove a fence, ask why it was there to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen, what we are actually seeing is a breakdown in society. Now the reason why this should also be alarming to us is because when we have one freedom that is going to be taken away, you're going to see a whole slew of freedoms that are going to be taken away. When you take a good look at what took place in Canada, Canada decided to legalize gay marriage. So what's the big deal? Well, the problem with that is it then led 
to a certain philosophy existing in the government. And when that philosophy existed in the government, and institutions that were receiving subsidy or aid from that government had a philosophy that was counter to that philosophy, there was only one course of action. And that was either sanctions, penalties, or a removal of aid. It didn't just stop there. The next step, after the institutions being penalized, they went after the churches. And so what you begin to see is when you have one breakdown taking place here, you're going to start seeing breakdowns everywhere else. So you've got a bunch of people and a bunch of Christians who are so excited about what's taking place. They put up rainbow flags, rainbow uh, pictures all over their Facebook, not realizing that their religious, uh, religious liberties are about to be intruded on. I mean, this is something that my political science teacher was calling out last year. He says, this is going to be the first step, this is going to be the next step, and this is going to be the next step. I want you to recognize this is not something that's just so, oh yeah, we're standing up for social justice. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to recognize this is something that is going to affect every single person. I had a friend who was getting her a master's in psychology and she needed to receive state certification. And she was told that the only way for her to be certified and to be able to counsel people was that she needed to make sure that she never said that gay marriage was a sin and she could not tell gay partners to break up. And if she did, she could not be certified. So this is a big deal. It's not a small thing. So we need to really think about these things. We need to start praying for our nation like never before. Amen? We need to pray that God would continue to work to hold back the winds of strife so that the message of the truth can be spread all over this world. Can you say amen to that? And we also start seeing a breakdown. When you change the definitions of one institution, then the floor becomes open for any changes. And sure enough, it's taken place. You know how polygamy partners who are now requesting that they have the same rights as gay partners do. Now in addition to that, you also have the NAMBLA. You know what NAMBLA is? You go type that into the internet, they're demanding rights as well. Why? Because you change the definition of marriage. Once you change the definition of marriage, any definition will work. So this is a big thing. It's not a small thing. But we as Christians, we need to be praying. Amen? I can't say this enough. We can talk, we can debate, we can discuss, we can write. But the number one thing we need to be doing is we need to be praying that God would continue to work and to allow the gospel to go out to the entire world. Amen. Amen. I love this nation. I love what Harlan was saying over there. There's been a change in our nation. You know, I was born and raised in the United States. Born in Southern California, the city of Anaheim, close to Disneyland, if anybody doesn't know where Anaheim is. And so I was born there. I was somebody who went to public, public elementary schools, public junior high, and public high school. I grew up with a sense of patriotism. And let me just tell you something. Indians are very patriotic. They're like, Indians are patriotic. You, you come to my mom's house on 4th of July. And you will see a lot of Hindus and Sikhs, the ones that wear the turbans, they will start dancing in the middle of the street on 4th of July because they're excited about this country's independence. That or they like to dance. But here's the thing. I was somebody who grew up with a sense of just love and appreciation for my country. I love this country. I couldn't, I wouldn't want to be born in any other place. I don't want to be in any other place. I love the place where I'm at. I love this country. But the Bible is very clear about something, something that will happen inevitably. And that is this, 
that this beast power that starts off with lamb-like principles will eventually begin to speak like a dragon. That is inevitable, and we are starting to see this like never before. And God wants us to study scriptures. He wants us to understand Bible prophecy. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be taking a journey into Bible prophecy. There's been some thoughts that have been on my mind over the course of the last week. And I believe the Lord really impressed me with this as I begin to study this topic out. You know, as seven damaged Christians, there's a bit of understanding we have about Bible prophecy. We understand a certain sequence of events that are going to be happening. We understand that eventually there's going to be laws that are made that are going to go counter to God's laws, and God's people are eventually going to face persecution. We also understand somewhere around that time, the latter rain is going to be poured out, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, and the gospel will go to the entire world. Well, after that, we will see the world galvanize or uh, just go into two different camps, and the close of probation will take place, which is simply a confirmation of decisions already being made. After the close of probation, we're going to be seeing plagues being poured out, and what's called a time of trouble. It's called Jacob's time of trouble. Doesn't just stop right there. After that time, at the midnight hour, we have the greatest event next to the cross of Calvary, and that is Jesus will return for his people. Can you say amen to that? Now, here's the thing that I've been really thinking about. Something that I've been wrestling about, and that is this. When it comes to the Sunday laws and to the latter rain, we're oftentimes confused. We'll say something like this. We'll say, the Sunday laws are going to happen, laws that are going to restrict religious freedom, and then the Holy Spirit is going to be poured upon God's people, and they're going to preach the entire message to the whole world, and then the close of probation will take place. But something began to unnerve me about this. Something that didn't seem right to me. As I began to study out this topic, God began to lead me to some unusual understandings of how this sequence works out and why it's important to every Bible-believing Christians. What comes first, the Sunday laws or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Are we going to be people who are going to say, wait a minute, I can't wait till the Sunday laws happen. I can't wait till these laws come upon the world. They're going to restrict religious liberty. Then it's time for us to work. We've been saying that for the last hundred years plus. And you know what we do? We go to the newspaper and we say, I wonder what the papacy is doing right now. Guess what? The papacy has been doing what the papacy has always been doing since day one. And so you know what we're doing? We're still sitting back. We're waiting. What's going to happen next? And ladies and gentlemen, this is where I believe this instruction is going to be relevant. As I begin to study out this issue... You begin to notice something unusual about this. What happens? Does the rain bring the storm or does the storm bring the rain? What is it? You know what's very interesting? When you read in scripture and you study out these biblical themes, you begin to see a certain parallel that begins to develop. A certain theme that begins to develop in scripture. The Bible teaches that persecution is not the cause of righteousness. Rather, it is the response to righteousness. When you take a good look at the early church, you know what the early church began to do? For 10 days, they began to pray. And you know what they were praying for? They were praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, were they afraid of persecution? Is that why they were praying? Or did they believe in the promise of the Holy Spirit? Which one was it? 
I heard somebody say Song of Solomon. Who said Song of Solomon? What does that have to do with anything right now? <laughs> or maybe I thought I heard that. Okay. You know what you have when you're reading the book of Acts? You read about a group of people based upon the promise of God who began praying for the Holy Spirit. And do you know what happens? The Holy Spirit falls. And then you know what you find in the later chapters of the book of Acts? Persecution comes as a result of God's people praying. Go to the book of Daniel. When you go to the book of Daniel, you don't need to turn that right now. I'm just talking about mentally right now. You go to the book of Daniel. Daniel, 10 days, he was on this Daniel diet. And you know what the Bible says? He began to have understanding of visions and dreams. Do you know what happens in Daniel chapter 2? What does he do in Daniel chapter 2? He interprets a dream for who? Nebuchadnezzar the king. And do you know what happens in Daniel chapter 3? An image is set up. A law that is set up that begins to contradict Daniel's understanding of the Ten Commandments. Now let me ask you a question. Would Daniel 3 have ever taken place if Daniel 2 never took place? Why is that? Would Daniel chapter 3 have taken place if Daniel chapter 2 never took place? Of course not, right? Remember Daniel chapter 3 was a what? Response to what? In understanding of the end of time. And Nebuchadnezzar, based upon the influence of his counselors, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to set up an entire gold statue, an image, and we're going to make everyone bow down to this image. This was actually a response to what God and his people were doing in the kingdom of Babylon. Now people are thinking, wait a minute, what are you trying to say, Pastor Nell? This is what I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, that the Holy Spirit, when it's poured upon God's people, the latter rain, the response to this power is going to be the setup of laws that contradict the laws of God. It's not the other way around. Many times we in Adventism, we thought to ourselves, wait, when the Sunday laws happen, when the end of time happens, that's when we're going to pray. When we don't have time to go to the church, when there's people who are trying to kill us, we'll go into our homes, we're going to start praying for the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you keep looking for that day, it'll never take place. It's about as true as a secret rapture. Which is so secret, not even the Bible knows about it. (laughs) We're building to a point. So what you begin to see in Scripture is that when people live righteous lives, when they begin to seek after God, It is not, ladies and gentlemen, that is not taking place as a result of persecution. Rather, what you begin to see is that when people begin to live God's lives, when they begin to pray for God to do amazing things, the result of that is persecution. The Bible says, he who desires to live a righteous life will be what? Will face persecution. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to say something that's going to make, going to blow your mind right now. Now you're going to think to yourself, what? That just can't happen. You ready for this? Hold on to your pews right now. Adventism, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will bring about the Sunday law. You're saying, what? Where the, where the cause of this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, you are not specifically the cause of the persecution. It is simply the world's response 
to God working in the lives of his people. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Do you remember when Abel began to worship God? He began to bring the righteousness of God that he asked for. What was the response of Cain? Cain got up and he did what? He slew Abel. Why? It was his response. He began to persecute Abel because he saw what God was doing in the life of Abel. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to see as God's people, through providence, as God's people, through dynamic events that will take place, begin to become more and more prominent. You're going to start seeing a power that will rise up and begin to influence the world like never before. God is not waiting for the papacy. He is waiting for you. In fact, everybody take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. This is not even what the sermon's about. But let's go to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Are we all there? Amen. Notice what the Bible says right here. This is very interesting. Let's start with verse 40. And I want you to see what takes place before Daniel 12. Daniel 12 begins with the close of probation. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in Daniel chapter 11, starting with verse 40. At the time of the what? The time of the what? So what is this talking about? The time of the what? The end of this Bible, it looks like. Okay. Let's continue with this. Daniel chapter 11, go to verse 40. Notice what the Bible says right here. At the time of the what? And the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the who? North. North. That's represented by this Babylonian power. Also represented by this papal power. Let's continue. The king of the north shall come against him like a what? Whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with ships. And he shall enter the what? Countries overwhelm them and pass through the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown but these shall escape from his hand Edom, Moab and the prominent people of Ammon notice this verse 42 he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt over the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heel now notice verse 44 but news from the what? but news from the what? east and the north shall what? Trouble him, therefore he shall go out with what? Fury to destroy and annihilate many. Notice this. And he shall plant the tents of the palace between the seas and the glorious holy mound. Yet he shall come to his end and no one shall help him. Verse Chapter 12, verse 1 is very key. And at that time, at what time? Well, what was that time? That was when this papal power was beginning to hear news coming from the what? East. Do you know what the word tidings mean? It's good news. It's the kind of news something's happening. He's hearing tidings about something. So he begins to come with this onslaught. And notice what the Bible says right here. Chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, which time? At that time, Michael shall what? Stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as there never was since there was a what? Nation. Notice what is being said right here. That when the king of the north begins to hear about these tidings, these news, news uh, reports that are coming back to him in response to that. In what? In response to the news. You know what he begins to do? He gathers an army and begins a attack. And it's at this time when the attack is taking place. Who stands up? Michael stands up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so powerful when you begin to realize this. Do you know why the king of the north is alarmed? Do you know why he responds with an attack? Because he's losing his flock. He's losing some of his followers. 
You see, when the latter rain begins to fall upon God's people, they begin to preach the message. They begin to share the good news, the biblical gospel. They begin to share the truths of God's character. And as this news begins to spread over the entire world, the king of the north hears about this. And the response to these tidings is a persecution. Ladies and gentlemen, why is this very important to every person? Because God doesn't want us to sit back and just wait till the Sunday law happens. He doesn't want us to sit back and wait till some crazy end time event happens. He wants us to start praying for the Holy Spirit now. Amen. Amen? The Bible teaches these are the times. The Bible tells us in Zechariah, ask for rain in the time of rain and he shall send flashing clouds. God is waiting to pour out his spirit. He's not waiting upon this world. He's not waiting upon events. He is waiting upon His people who are willing to come together and start praying. And when they begin to pray and plead for the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, begin to lay aside those things, those things that are hindering them from growing, God's power will come upon them like never before. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. God's beginning to pour out His Spirit. The drops are falling all over this world right now. And he is waiting for recipients, people who are willing to pray. But let's continue with this. Notice this. Sunday loss happened as a result of the latter rain. The close of probation takes place. And by the way, who stands up? Michael stands up. The only time you see Jesus standing up is when Stephen was being stoned. He looked up in AD 34 and what did he see? He saw Jesus standing up at the right hand of the Father indicating what? The close of probation for that nation. And what you are seeing on a global scale right here is that when persecution happens, Michael will stand up. Amen? Amen. He will stand up. But notice this. It's at the close of probation. Many people are afraid of the close of probation. What happens at the close of probation? All the close of probation is simply a confirmation of the decisions people already make. It's already a confirmation. It's already saying, well, this is what this person believes, and this is what this person believes. This is simply an affirmation of that. Not affirmation, a confirmation, excuse me. God is not pleased with the decisions of the wicked, amen? And so what happens is, that time, decisions are made. God says, what else can be done? He begins to step outside the sanctuary. And that has to take place. Think about this logically. Jesus is in the sanctuary, and Jesus needs to be here to come get his people. Therefore, logically, he needs to... Leave the sanctuary. That's right. Some people are like, you're telling me we're going to live without an intercessor? How else can Jesus come back to save you? Amen? How else can he come back to save you if he's still in the sanctuary? And so what happens is, Jesus steps out of the sanctuary. And it's during that time that God's spirit is withdrawn and plagues begin to fall upon this world. Now many people are thinking, oh man, that don't sound good, Pastor. It doesn't sound good for the lost. But God wants you to know it's during that time that God will preserve His people. Amen? Amen? Now what is this? What happens at the same time? This is what we're getting to. The Bible teaches a time of trouble will take place. A time of trouble for the wicked? Oh, they got their time of trouble. It's called the plagues. But there's another time of trouble. The Bible tells us about this. It says this, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. At that time, who? Michael shall stand up. And by the way, who's Michael? Not just Jesus. It's when Jesus is in combat. Every time you see the word Michael, you see Jesus in combat. 
It says warrior name. Every time in scripture you see the word Michael, he's contending with the devil. He's pushing back the king of Persia. Anytime you see the word Michael, the context is always describing a battle. It's Jesus' warrior's name. Let's continue. At that time, Michael shall stand up the great what? Prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And notice what the Bible says right here when probation closes. There shall be a time of what? Trouble such as there never was since there was a what? The Bible teaches us apparently something will take place at the very end of time. It's called the what? Time of trouble. The Bible tells us also more about this in Jeremiah 30 verse 5. For thus says the Lord. Jeremiah seen a vision of the future. He's seen what this mysterious time will be like. Notice what the scripture says right here. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of what? Trembling. And of what? Fear. And not of what? Ask you now and see whether a man does travail with child. And why do you see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all the faces turned into paleness. Something is happening to God's people. Alas, for that day is great. So that none is like it. It is the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble, but he shall be what? The Bible attaches a name, attached a name to this time of trouble. It's called the whose time of trouble? Because the Bible is teaching us the way for us to survive that time of trouble is we need to go to whose time of trouble? Jacob's experience. Now I need a volunteer. Where's Shaheen at? Shaheen, come here for a second. Shaheen is not being paid to do this. All right, all right. Do you know one of those... Do you ever have those memories when you're just looking back in life and you think about those moments where you scored a great victory in something? Perhaps it was a football game or a basketball game. You were outgunned, outnumbered. I mean, you were the underdog and still you succeeded, right? You ever had... Anybody ever think about that? Five people have thought about that, right? Most of us have thought that way. We've just thought perhaps upon a memory, right? Let me share with you a memory I had. When I was in Arroyo Grande as a youth pastor, I had a friend, his name was Andrew, and uh, there was this place called The Pit. And this place was called The Pit. And th- what they did right there is they taught people MMA. Do you know what MMA is? It's not the old school, it's the old name of CBCA. MMA is Mixed Martial Arts, right? They had an instructor name, his instructor there, his name was Glover Teixeira. And Glover Teixeira was this big Brazilian black belt in jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we thought, man, it would be great to wrestle this guy. And so he started teaching us over there. And he'd always get mad at us. He'd always yell, yell at us with his Brazilian accent, Did you drill? We're like, no. He's like, what's the purpose of being here if you're not drilling? Like, he'd always get mad at us. And so we started doing a lot of jujitsu under his uh, instruction. And I stopped doing it after a while. Years later, I was on the youth evangelism team, and we were working at Fresno Academy. And at Fresno Academy, during the middle of the week, they had someone who was teaching jujitsu and was offering free classes and inviting anybody to come on in to wrestle. So I thought to myself, it's been a few years, but no, Candace still got that, right? <laughs> so I went in there, got my shorts, and the guy says, all right, Anel, you ever done this before? I said, yeah, I did it before a little bit, you know. And he's like, I'm going to put you against this guy. Now, imagine Shaheen times two this way and that way. That's what that guy looked. He was a big guy. He was 200 pounds plus. And they said, I know you're going to wrestle him. He's got some experience. 
So I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what'd I do? I had some of my friends who were with me. And so I was like, okay, let's wrestle this guy. Really? No, you're not going to really wrestle me, okay? <laughs> so here we were. We were going to wrestle, okay? And let me tell you what this guy did first. I remember every bit of this wrestling match. It lasted over 15 minutes, okay? So we went at it. And Shaheen, I want you to just go in slow. He went like this right into me. And you know what I did? I was like, Poof, no problem. I put him in what's called the guillotine. I held him like this. This big old guy. And I did something. I began to crank this. Okay? She, I'm not hurting Shaheen right now. I want you to know that. Shaheen, are you being hurt? No. Shaheen is not being hurt right now. Okay? And uh, Shaheen, why don't we actually come up here? Sorry. There's a point to this. So here this big guy comes in, and he tries to tackle me. I was like, no way. I got this. I had him like this, okay? I began to crank him up just to make him submit. And you know what he does? He picks up the back of my legs, and he begins to just take me down, okay? So let's do the best we can without looking awkward, okay? So here I am, okay? Okay, this is interesting. Okay, there's a point to this. And by the way, don't you be putting this on the Internet. Okay, come down here. I mean, I had him like this, okay? And I began to wrap my legs around him. I was like, I got this. And all of a sudden, and I was like about to finish him off. When he was about to tap, I saw his hand extend out like this. His sweaty head popped out of this guillotine, okay? And you know what he did? He immediately pushed back, pushed right on top of me. And with this, all his weight, he was just on top of me, okay? Like this. So go ahead and do that. <laughs> Just like this. Okay, and so here it was. Can you guys hear me? So here it was. He was right on top of me like this. And I was trying to get out. I was trying to do just a, a move to get out. And all of a sudden he says, Stop. Stop. He said, You're bleeding. You're bleeding. I got up. And I was like, What? And I reached on the side of my face. Blood just drenching out. Indian skin insensitive. So I took that. I was like, oh my goodness, stay right there. And I went over to the bathroom, cleaned myself off. I walked back in there, I'm like, let's go again. <laughs> we went at it, okay? And again, this guy, because of his weight, was on top of me. But in jiu-jitsu, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff if someone's on top of you. you got the, you're still, still some strength down there. And so here he was, he was on top of me again, okay? And this time, he was trying to get me in an arm lock. So you know what he did? He grabbed my elbow... And he pressed with all his weight. He did this. So Shaheen, I'm going to do this. You're an L and I'm the big guy. He had me down, okay? And you see my arm like this. This is a lot. This is actually a submission move. What he did, he had my wrist all the way pressed up against this, put all of his weight in there, kept my wrist straight. He was going to snap my wrist. And let me tell you something. By the time I was done with that match, my wrist was completely sprained. He almost broke my wrist. But somehow... I was sweating and I slipped out of that, okay? We went back and forth for about... You can go back to your pew. And so... <laughs> you're like, what's the point of this? What are you guys clapping about? <laughs> okay. We went at this for about 15 minutes. And finally, I said at the end of the 15 minutes, I don't got any more energy. I actually lost that match because I couldn't even lift up my arms anymore. I was so drained, I had completely exhausted myself that as I got up, 
I couldn't even walk. I was limping. My friends actually had to take me to the van. Okay? They were like, hey, let's get some Jamba Juice. I fell asleep. I woke up. They were at the Jamba Juice, and they were sipping Jamba Juice inside while I was sleeping. Okay? The next day, I woke up. My wrist was sprained. My ankle was hurting. I had so many aches. I could hardly get out of that bed. And the reason I lost wasn't because of technique. I lost because I gave up. I lost that match because I gave up. I didn't lose because he submitted me. I lost because I ran out of energy. In the Bible, there's a story of a wrestler from the day he was born. Do you know what his name is? Jacob. You said he was a wrestler from the day he was born? Absolutely. The Bible tells us in Genesis, he was what inside the womb? He was struggling with Esau. From the day he was born, this guy came out as a wrestler. Even when Esau was trying to get out, he tried to do a weird leg hook thing and tried to get him back inside the womb. The Bible teaches us Jacob was a wrestler. And so here we are, we're going to pick up the story. Everybody take your Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 27. This is where Jacob begins to deceive his father. We're going to pick up on this very rapidly. Genesis chapter 27. Are we all there? Start with verse 18. You guys know the story of Jacob. Esau went out on a hunting trip. Isaac was about to die. He wanted to give his final blessing to his son Esau, who was the older son. Jacob said, you know what? I want that what? Don't forget that word. He wanted that what? Blessing. So he comes up with a plan. He takes some hairy skin, wraps it around his arm so he feels or looks like Jacob or looks like Esau. Changes his voice a little bit. Goes into his father's tent. Notice what the Bible says in verse 18. 27 verse 18. And he went to his father and said, what? He said who? What? My father. Keep going. And he said, here I am. Who are you? He said what? He said, who are you? He asked the question, who are you? Let's keep going. Jacob said to his father, I am who? I am who? Notice how he identifies himself. He identifies himself as who? Esau. Let's continue. Your firstborn I have done as you told me. Please arise, sit, eat of my game, that your soul may what? He wanted that what? Keep going. Verse 20. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found so quickly, found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Verse 21. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He grabs him. Let's continue. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. He felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of who? Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Now pay attention to the blessing. Bring it near to me. I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. And you know what he begins to do? He begins to pronounce a special blessing upon Jacob. He gives him a blessing of the land. A blessing of the what? The land and the livestock. That was the blessing that Jacob wanted. And you know what happens? Esau comes back, finds out about this. And a whole drama begins to take place. And Jacob is exiled from his home. Fast forward. Here Jacob is. He's met his wife. He's worked for her for seven years plus. And then he marries another sister. And then what happens is he's married between two women. And then what happens is that he decides he's going to flee his father-in-law's house. Takes off. And the Bible teaches us. As he began to make his way back towards Esau, word came to him 
Esau was coming with 400 men. Not just any men, they were soldiers, men of war. They were coming to take Jacob out. The exiled son has finally returned. Jacob's parents were dead. And now Esau finally got his chance. He's like, I'm going to get this guy. And notice this. Here Jacob is. He's in this moment of loneliness. And there is his brother, who's supposed to be his brother, now coming with this 400-man army ready to kill Jacob. And Jacob begins to experience a time of trouble. Everybody take your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 2, 32. I want you to see this point right here. 32. Jacob's alone, but he has a plan. Before he's about to confront Esau, before he's about to face Esau, go to verse 13. Notice this. So he launched her that same night and took what came to his what? As a present to who? Notice this. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 what? Let me ask you a question. He decided to give Esau a present. What was the present? How much livestock did he give him? How much? Be more precise. Read verse 13 one more time. Everything that came from his what? Do you know what he gave to Esau? He gave him the blessing. Now this is where it starts getting interesting. Okay? Now go all the way to verse... All the way to verse 22. Everything that came from Esau's hand, from Jacob's hand, was all the blessing he had wanted his entire life. The multiplication of the livestock, monetary wealth, you name it, property. And he gives it all to Esau. Okay, let's keep going. Go all the way to verse 22. He rose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and eleven sons, crossed over the ford of what? Jabbok, which means wrestling. He took them over, sent over his brook, and sent over what he, what? Had. Verse 24. And Jacob was, what? Left alone, and a man, what? Wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of his hip, Jacob's hip, was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, what? Let me go for the, what? Day breaks. Now notice this. Jacob just got jumped by God. And now God is saying to him, let me go. Now watch Jacob's response. But he said, I will not let you go until you what? Do you know what Jacob finally realized? His whole life he had sought for earthly blessing. His whole life he had sought for earthly blessing. He had prayed for earthly blessings. He deceived for earthly blessings. And now in his time of trouble, he does not even care any bit for these earthly blessings. In fact, he says, give it all to Esau. I don't care for it. And Jacob finally realized which blessing finally mattered. And you know what blessing it was? The heavenly blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, how many times have we prayed for God to do something for us? We're praying for earthly blessings. Nothing wrong with that. But many times our earthly blessings outweigh our call for a heavenly blessing. And when Jacob finally came to that point where he was willing to say, God, I don't care about my earthly blessings. I'll give it all to Esau. He gave it all to Esau. He gave up all of his earthly blessings to Esau. The blessing he had deceived for. The blessing of his father. And he chose a different blessing, the blessing God had been wanting to give him his entire life. And do you know what blessing that was? 
the heavenly blessing. You see, when he was wrestling with God, he wasn't praying, hey, Lord, let me, you know, I will not let you go until you give me more livestock. He wasn't praying for that anymore. Jacob, through trial and circumstance, finally recognized which blessing God had been wanting to give him his entire life. Which blessing have you been searching for? Which blessing have you been wrestling God over? Mere temporal earthly blessings? Or for the spiritual blessing God has been waiting to give you? You know what's very interesting is the question he's asked next. You know what question he's asked next? God says to him, what's your name? By the way, who asked him that question before? Isaac did. And do you remember when Isaac asked that question, what was Jacob's response? I'm I'm Esau. And this time he's asked again. In order before that blessing can come, do you remember how Jacob replies? He says, I am who? Jacob. When he's wrestling God, when God brings it up against him, by the way, What's your name? The word Jacob means deceiver. He said, I'm the deceiver. It was a recognition of who he really was. You see, when he was wrestling for that blessing, he forsook earthly blessings. He said, I don't care what happens, I'll give it all up. And then, when he's wrestling with God, he's not willing to let him go until he gets that blessing. He admits, he confesses who he really is. I'm a sinner. And as he's doing that, God then gives him the blessing. The blessing God had been waiting to give him his whole life. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we don't have the peace that we do is because we're basing our peace upon earthly benefits, earthly circumstances. The reason why we've been so discouraged is because we have looked for the fulfillment of things around us and forgotten the greatest blessing that God had been wanting to give and that is being right with the Lord. And in the time of trouble, when God's people have given up everything because they can't buy or sell anymore, ladies and gentlemen, they've given up their houses, they've given up their lands, here they are, they've reached that point where they're willing to say, I don't care, it's all on the, I laid all at the foot of the cross. They're wrestling with God and they're saying, God, I am a sinner. And they recognize their unworthiness as they're pleading. But you know what? They have one thing in common. God's people, along with Jacob, they would not let him go. How quickly have you let God go? You know, Ellen White says something quite remarkable here. She says this, Jacob, what? Prevailed because he was what? Persevering and determined. His experience testifies to the power of... What's that word? Anybody know? Do you know what it means? It actually means annoying. Look at the definition of it. It's annoying persistence. And Jacob, here he is. He's clinging to God, not letting him go. And says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Notice what the Bible says, or notice what Ellen White says next. It is now that we are to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer. It is when... It's when the Sunday laws start? Now. It's when? Now. Some of you still wait until the Sunday law starts. I can tell. You wait until events happen. Then I'll start praying. It is now. It is now that we are to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer of unyielding what? Faith. Faith. The greatest victories to the church. The greatest what? 
victories to the church of Christ or to the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education, by wealth or the favor of men. They are those victories that are gained in the what? Audience chamber with God. You know, people coming out of their closet left and right. You know what Jesus is saying? Get back in that closet and pray. Jesus said, get back into that closet and pray. We are to pray in that secret closet, and we need to struggle with God like never before. There are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God. When earnest, agonizing faith lays hold upon the mighty power of God. Those who are unwilling to forsake every sin and to seek earnestly for God's blessings will not obtain it. But all those who will lay hold of God's promises, as did Jacob, and be as earnest and persevering as he was, will succeed as he was. That's why the Bible says over and over again in the book of Psalms, the number one title given to God is not the God of Abraham, not the God of Isaac, but the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. The one who understands struggles. The one who is inviting his people to come struggle with him. Not just to pray for earthly blessings, but to pray for the greatest of all blessings. Being right with the Lord. Having that heaven's peace that nothing in this world can give you. Ladies and gentlemen, the people who make it through the time of trouble are those who have learned to wrestle with God today. Amen? They've learned to wrestle with God and to plead for His blessings. To plead to be right with the Lord. This conviction has come upon me over and over and over again in the last few weeks. God is not waiting for more events. He's waiting for His people. What are you going to do with your freedom now? You going to wait till more religious liberty gets taken away? You're going to wait till something else happens, then we'll pray? God is saying, today is the day that God invites you to wrestle with Him. To begin to plead with Him, to struggle for with Him. He wasn't praying anymore. Jacob wasn't praying anymore for earthly blessings. He was praying for the greatest of all blessings God's grace upon him. God's blessings upon him. And if you don't know what that is, I really want to challenge you and really just, really just direct you to this understanding that God is calling his people to figure out what that is. The heritage of Jacob, the blessings of Jacob. What are they? God is inviting his people to step into this struggle with him. Tells us in Isaiah 27, let him take hold of my what? Let him take hold of my strength that he may make what? Peace with me and he shall what? Perhaps you've been struggling with this world. God says, stop struggling with this world. Start start struggling with me. God stretches out his hand just like he did with Jacob. Wrestle, struggle, plead for this blessing. Call out to him. He is so waiting to give it, ladies and gentlemen. Don't have to wait till the Sunday law. God is waiting for to pour out the Holy Spirit upon His people. But He invites you today. Enter into this struggle with Him. I want to make a very simple appeal. A very simple appeal. Perhaps your spirituality has been this way. Perhaps you've been a backslider. Perhaps you've just stayed away from giving God your full heart. You kept a distance. God is calling you. To take hold of his strength. And to not let him go until he blesses you. Where are those people today? The generation of Jacob. Those who seek him. 
that's your desire. You're saying, I want to enter into this struggle. I want heaven's blessings. I don't care about earthly blessings. They're going to come and go. But I want heaven's blessings. I want to invite you to the front right now. That's your desire. You say, I want to struggle with God. I want this blessing. The world will come and go. The world will change. But like Jacob, recognize the one blessing that mattered was the blessing only God can truly give him. Heaven's blessing. Heaven's peace. God is calling you to lay those earthly blessings on the altar. To let go. But to hold on to God like never before and say, I will not let you go, Lord, till you bless me. Begin to really pray about this. In the mornings, my prayer is, God, change this evil that's in my heart. I need heaven's blessings. I need this that only you can give. Earthly blessings will come and go. Those who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the rest will come. But God says, seek after that earthly blessing. I'm going to invite you right now, wherever you're at, as far as possible, can please kneel. Father, right now, in a moment of silence, in this time of freedom, help us not to be dumb and waste it. But Lord, help us to take advantage right now, just in a moment of silence, to plead with you that you wouldn't... We would not let you go until you bless us. Father in heaven, forgive us for placing our eyes on earthly things. Forgive us for struggling after these things. Lord, please bless us. Give us heaven's blessing. That's what we want, Lord. We want your peace. God, we just pray that as everyone departs from this sanctuary, that it would be done with a prayerful heart, a heart that is open and connected to you. You said, let him take hold of my strength and he will make peace with me and he shall have peace. God, thank you. You invite us to this struggle. Gave each person perseverance and endurance. Bless them with strong faith to know, Lord, that you are inviting them and that you are holding on to them too. Thank you for hearing this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org